Okay, so now, now we're looking at this whole idea. Where's an example of this that we're saying about this idea of going out and putting ourselves into the menhagen of the place? So everything is established in klal and prat. There's general and there's specific. This inyan, the shlemus of the purification, the full purification of the world, is expressed through the purification of France. The purification of France. To begin, one of the testimonies, it's called Yehudi HaGula, the the statements of the Gula, the realities of the Gula that we see in the Haftarah of last Shabbos, of, of I guess, Parshas Vayishlach, rather, is about France. In Parshas Vayishlach, the Haftarah, I think of Ovadia says, I think it's Ovadia, says, Hagolus Achel Hazel Livnei Yisrael, etc. This Golus for the Yidden, etc., etc. Ad Sorfas, that goes all the way to France, etc. Yershu was Arian Negev. They will inherit. We will inherit the Arian the Negev. Valu Mashim Baharzian. We will go up to Harzian. Lishpat is Harz. Esav to judge her. Esav Ahaisel Hashem and Melucha. And the Melucha will belong to Hashem. So here's the question: The Navi is speaking about the Gullus and the eventual future Geula, and he's exemplifying it by using the name France. This gullus, which goes all the way to France. Now, when you say, you know, well, you drove all that way, you know, from New York City to La Touque, Quebec, or to uh, what's northern Ontario, uh, Sudbury, Sudbury, Ontario, you drove all the way from New York, from Long Island, New York, to Sudbury, Ontario. That means a farvarfenavinkel, right? Like all the way to there, this faraway place. So this gullus, which goes all the way to France, which means this is the furthest extreme. This is the furthest part of gullus that you can imagine, which means the lowest. So we understand that there's a connection between them. Because even if we were sent at the beginning into France, Rashi was there, etc., as the Redox speaks about it, um, is the Mainif Kamina, why is it spoken about in the Pasuk? And especially, we're talking about something that was said. We're talking about a Haftira that is from a few thousand years ago. And it's speaking about the Geula. So we understand that in the Geula's Nogea, that it's connected with France. Golas Achel Hazeh, the beginning of the Golas, was France. What is that? The beginning of the Gullus is France. Because the complete bearer of the world, when the the whole Melucha will belong to Hashem, will be achieved through the bearer, the purification, and the elevation of Yidden in France. It's all connected to France. That's a very unusual, interesting statement. It's connected to France. So let's see. Let's see where we see it. There's a change and a chiddush in the relationship between Jews in this generation relative to the time of the Alter Rebbe. Because remember, we're speaking about um, the time of the Alter Rebbe who was opposed by Lahavdol Napoleon. In the Alter Rebbe's time, which is, remember, we said 
born 1745, Nistalic 1812. So the time of the Alter Rebbe is the late 1700s, the very, very early 1800s. And of course, the most dynamic part was during the Napoleonic War in the 1800s, ending with 1812, the War of 1812. So really, you know, I, I haven't followed the, I could Google when Napoleon came to power. He probably wasn't in power for very long. It was probably a few years. And, and that was it. It all ended with the Altarebbe's, the essentially. The Altarebbe put everything he had into, much of what he had into fighting Napoleon, including throwing his life into the battle, including the Altarebbe throwing his life into the battle. And we'll see why. Remember, if France is the epitome of Gullus, which means a spiritual essential non-holiness, and Napoleon is embodying that. To get to Gaula, you need to conquer the bad guys. You need to eliminate him. I, Hashem, sent him there, and Napoleon, into the world for a reason. And it needs to be dealt with. So we know that in the time of the Alter Rebbe, we're talking about now late, late 1700s, middle to late 1700s, etc., there was a war between Napoleon, France, and Alexander of Russia. Wait, the, the French Revolution, I did it in fifth grade, Five Reasons of the French Revolution, 1779. We'll see the date in a minute, I'm pretty sure. 1779, French Revolution, Five Reasons for the French Revolution. So, who was fighting Napoleon? Alexander, the Tsar of Russia. All Jewish leaders felt that they wanted Napoleon to win, except for the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe wanted Napoleon to lose, and, Ale- and by definition, Alexander of Russia, the Tsar, would have to win. Or re- really, there was another Gadol Yisrael who wanted Napoleon to win. Because Napoleon came along and he offered liberté et qualité fraternité. Napoleon came along and said, Jews, I will make it good for you. You'll have money, you'll have honor, you'll have equal position. You'll have fraternity, we'll be your brothers. You will have liberty, you'll have money, you'll have it good. Now you're just an oppressed people all by yourselves. You sit and you live in, you live in ghettos, you're all by yourselves, you're all isolated to yourselves. We'll become your best buddies and we'll integrate with you. And the other Gadol B'Yisrael said, good idea. Life will be easier. No more oppression, no more opposition, etc. The Alter Rebbe said no. The Alter Rebbe said, the, the Matav Ruchmi of Yidin in Yerushalayim is better, will be better if Napoleon loses. If Napoleon wins, God forbid, well, let's see. The Lashon HaKadosh, in the Altar of His Holy Lashon, Im Yenetzeach Beis, if Beis will win, Bonaparte, then Yorba Aisha Yisrael, the Yoram Keren Yisrael, the Yidden will become actually wealthy, and they will rise to good positions. They will. Aval, but, Yispardu Yisrachku Liban Shal Yisrael Meabiyan Sheba Shemayim. At the same time as if Napoleon wins, Bonaparte wins, base, our hearts 
the hearts of the Yidden will become separated and distanced from their Father in Heaven, from Hashem. So they'll, they, they will have, the Gashmi is a good life. The Ruchnias, it's spiritual suicide. It's, 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 it's absolutely devastating, beyond devastating. On the other hand, said the Altar Rebbe, the Imyanateach Aleph, if Aleph wins, Alexander, the, the Tsar, in Kiorba Aini Bi Yisrael, we won't the Yidden will continue to be poor. The Yushbal carrying Yisrael and stepped on. But their hearts will be connected and they will be unified with Hash, with their father in heaven, with Hashem. Now this was clearly a Messiris Nefesh that was decided on from above that the Yidden of that generation had to have. Because it's not easy to be poor and it's not easy to be oppressed. But it looks like, first of all, it's not easy to be distanced from Hashem. That's also not exactly peachy, peachy keen. But for the future of the Jewish people, this was clearly a moment in history when everything was hinging on what would be with Ashkenazic Jews, what the future would be. This was not just a random moment. This was a massive moment embedded into the French Revolution and the whole thing. And it was crucial for the future of Judaism that the Tsar win, Aleph wins, and Bonaparte and Base loses. Alexander, the Tsar wins, and Napoleon Bonaparte, Base loses so that we remain deeply connected to Hashem and give birth to generations and generations and eternal generations that are connected to Hashem. Otherwise, God forbid, game over. And, and, and all of the ramifications, yes, it's true, we, will, we, we don't know what the ramifications would be, how much the Ashkenazic Jews would affect the Sephardic Jews. Let's face it, in an atmosphere where everybody gives up, and everybody's just giving into the non-holy, non, you know, non-holy way, and Judaism becomes essentially, God forbid, extinct, except for a few Sephardic Jews, it's hard to believe that they would also just be holding on. Clearly, this is a moment when the future of all of Judaism was at stake. Because we understand that the Alter Rebbe, obviously would not be happy, was not happy that the Yidden would be poor or oppressed. I'm sure it was very painful for him, even daven for that. But even more painful, infinitely more painful, the idea that Yiddishkeit would just melt into oblivion, practically, God forbid. So... And the reason the reason the author of Adavan for this is because France and Napoleon its head held with it a tnua, a movement of chayfish, of freedom, Rahmanuslan, from all the Yanam of Das and Amuna in Hashem. The klipa of the country of, of the Malchus of France, Napoleon, which was Taikaf Haklipa Vadin Hakasha. This is a very intense klipa that klipa embedded in France, the klipa of France, 
that it was expressed in its fullest through Napoleon. Why? What was it about it? It was a gaiva and the exalted feeling of, I don't need anybody. I have my own strength. I don't need God. I don't need you. I don't need them. I don't need God. I don't need whatever you're going to give me. I have my own my strength earned me what I have now. I did it. I don't need you or them or Hashem. I did it. I'm good by myself because I, I, Napoleon was I. The I of, I don't need God. I have everything I need and I will run the world. I, the I, the unholy I. That klipa when, you know, like sukkah's time, we sit and we sit in the sukkah and we look at what we accomplished all summer by taking care of the farm in those days and, and bringing in all the crops and we look at everything that we worked so hard to create during the summer of bringing in, you know, all the crops and all the food and we look at it and say, wow, I worked really hard this summer and look what I achieved. And sitting in the sukkah, among many other things, is there to make us realize, no, 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 no. You did work really hard. You did not make all of this happen. Hashem made it happen. It's a very subtle thing. So this I don't need Hashem was deeply embedded in France and deeply embedded in Napoleon. And it's throwing away Hashkacha and Amunah and Betachan and Hashem. Like the clip of Sancheriv. And as the Mitla Rebbe explains, it wasn't just a temporary thing. This klipa then in France was negated to all the times and all the generations after that. It wasn't just a random moment. It was a pivotal moment in history. And we know in history that the French Revolution in the year Tufkuf Memtes, um, 17... Wow. 1789. Yes. French Revolution in 1789. As a result of this, Napoleon took over. He became, you know, he didn't take over right to remember. There was, you know, Marie Antoinette and all that, let them eat cake and all that stuff. And uh, the lady who was sitting there knitting all of the codes into her knitting and she would sit there at all the meetings and they wondered why she was sitting and knitting and all this stuff that was going on when they said the people are going to take over. Irish. Whom did they throw away? We don't need the king and queen anymore. Let's throw away the king and the queen. We don't need them anymore. The people will take over. I'm going to say something about this in a second, about the Alta Rebbe but we don't need the king and queen. So first they had the French Revolution and then eventually, and the people were taking over. Very quickly, Napoleon came along. He was the new king. You know, Napoleon came along and he became the figurehead for this the people take over type of generation. But he was the dictator himself, you know. Whom are we kidding? But they started off as the people will take over. Um, uh, Several years later, several years after 1789, he took over. I don't remember. Just Google it and you'll know. 
Um, remember the old days where you would have to go to the library and look it up in a million encyclopedias till you finally found it out? Life is so much quicker now. So um, it was an ideological revolution, an Indian Kalali that brought with it a fundamental change in the entire world. And it was one of the most important fundamental things, um, events that happened, which became the foundation of the way the modern world and the modern culture would work till today. To the extent that the revolution, the French Revolution, the government... The, the the government of France was in the hands of the king and queen, Louis the sixth, Louis the fourteenth, Louis the fifteenth, Louis the sixteenth. I think he was the guy around, if I remember from fifth grade. Good for me. Um, he, and he was married to Marie Antoinette. She was totally out of it. We know that when the people when people came to them and said the people need bread, they have no bread. So she was so out of it. She said, "Well, let them eat cake." not very in tune with the people, right? So that one didn't work too well off with their heads. Apparently it wasn't so really what's true. wrong with getting rid of such a king and queen? They're not really very effective. Because what was behind it was a spiritual klipa that, first of all, the king and queen did do whatever they wanted. They didn't care, as we just said. She didn't care. People are hungry. I don't know. She has food. She's fine. They did whatever they wanted. They were not in tune with the people. The revolution was founded on this, that people should be free to act the way they want. Sounds familiar now. People should be free to act the way they want. It's correct. And therefore, they got rid of the king and queen to free the country from their government and give it over to the people, to the masses. Not bad. By the way, think about this. What does Chassidus do? Chabad Chassidus, beginning with the Alter Rebbe. It takes the leadership from those at the top and gives it to the masses. Lahavdil, Lahavdil. But the difference is not in what is being offered. Why are you doing it? In other words, look at Chabad Chassidus makes it that any little Canadian Balchuva is not yet to Balchuva, you know, can be picked off the street, you know, from university by a rabbi and a rabbitson and brought to shul and starts to learn. And then she, and she knows Hebrew and Yiddish anyway, and she goes off and becomes a teacher herself. She starts to learn, learn Tyra, and now she herself becomes a teacher. Right? So she no longer has to depend on them. Okay, when she's not sure about something, this is me. Right? You go back and you ask your teachers, wait, what does this mean and what does that mean? But essentially you become independent. Anybody now, the people take over. Chabad Chassidus made it that anybody can be a shliach, anybody can be a scholar, anybody can be a leader. And today, of course, the world is set up that anybody can... um, make a website, and become the expert in, the self-acclaimed expert in, and maybe they even know what they're talking about, and rightly so. The power with Chabad Hasidus 
This was one of the major revolutions. The power was given over from the leaders to the people. Every simple person now can become a leader because every single person has their direct connection with Hashem. Every single Jew has their direct connection with Hashem. And by sitting and learning Tyra and the deepest parts of Tyra, they strengthen, strengthen that connection and become a leader in their own right. As long as they're doing it for Hashem and not, God forbid, against Hashem. So this subtlety, Chabad Hasidus made it possible for the people to take over. Same thing. So how come the Alter Rebbe, hey, Alter Rebbe is making it possible for the leaders to no longer be as effective? You know, where are the leaders today? I don't know. Who are the leaders? I don't know. The people are the leaders. So, so how is the Alter Rebbe fighting Napoleon? Isn't the Alter Rebbe doing the same thing? Enabling the people to take over and have their own direct connection with Hashem and their own direct connection to Tyra. And again, okay, let's just leave the again. That's what the Alter Rebbe did. That's what Napoleon did. Lahabdil said the people will take, you know, or that's what the French Revolution did. We get rid of the king and queen, and we, and the people take over. So what's the difference? Why would the Alter Rebbe fight the very thing that he's doing? Because Napoleon and the French Revolution, they gave the power to the people to disconnect themselves from Hashem. And Lahabdil, the Alter Rebbe, gave the power to the people to connect themselves to Hashem. Same activity. Completely opposite kavana, intention. The Alter Rebbe is there. The people should have the power because they can more deeply connect to Hashem. Napoleon, or French Revolution, the people should have the power so that they can disconnect from Hashem. That's the difference. So, the revolution, now that revolution was based on the idea that people should be, as we said, free to do what they want. Um, so they got rid of the king and the queen and, it, and they gave it over to the people. And even though it has a myla, when you have a Gashmistic freedom and you know, you're free, you're not so tied to, you have more freedom, Bagashmias. That's a good thing, to have more freedom, Bagashmias. The problem, and it would have brought, if Napoleon had won, it would have brought a freedom and a wealth to Yidden. They wouldn't have been oppressed, and they would, have, would not have been isolated, and they would have been wealthy. But because the revolution was not based on the aside of Amunim Betachan and Hashem. It was based on breaking Amunim Betachan and Hashem. Therefore, it brought, and especially through Napoleon, a spiritual freedom, a Ruchmiistic freedom, which is not freedom, a Ruchmiistic throwing away the Hashpa, the influence of Hashem. That's the entire difference. A liberty 
in 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 Yerushalayim, a negative liberty, throwing off the yoke of heaven, which would then have and did affect generations to come and all the countries around. Again, to repeat, it was a pivotal moment. The success of the French Revolution, as it has gone on and on, and if Napoleon had continued to conquer the world as he was planning, it would be a very different world today. Among the least of which is, we would not be sitting here today learning this sicha. That is for sure. That is, that, that is a very strong understatement. And so, the reason Napoleon fell was because the Alter Rebbe fought him with everything he had. And the Alter Rebbe davened with everything that he had that Napoleon should lose the war. And to such an extent, the Alter Rebbe didn't want to be under, his, under Napoleon's rulership. The Alter Rebbe and his entire family, with everything they owned, ran away. They were running away from Napoleon. They left Liadi and they ran. And the Derecha Teva, the reason for the passing of the Alter Rebbe in, on Chavdal in the village of Piena was because they were on the run in the midst of a very bitter winter in Russia. And on the surface, the Alter Rebbe got sick very sick from the running and etc. and being in carriages and wagons that were unheated, etc. and had to stop in Piena and passed away there. Of course, the spiritual reason is the Alter Rebbe clearly threw his life into the battle to win for the future of Yiddishkeit. And the Alter Rebbe promised his son with a shvua that Russia will win the war. And that's the way it was. And Yidin will be saved from the negative hashba that would have happened if France had won. And Yidin will be able to continue their avida in being close and getting closer to Hashem. Especially through the revelation of Tarzah Hasidus in that country, in Russia, through Rabbi Seinu Nisienu, through the Rebbeim, the descendants of, of the Alter Rebbe, the Middle Rebbe, the Tzemachtetik, etc. So, um, Okay, and we know, we know that Napoleon on some level understood that this is a spiritual battle because he was after the Alter Rebbe. Napoleon was following the Alter Rebbe, chasing him. Why? 
Why? And we know, I mean, from the things we know about Napoleon, he always had his hand in his coat. Um, I heard, I'm just saying hearsay, I heard that because he was not, he was like a shtickle shindalid. He had a webbed hand. So he always had his hand in his coat. And um, I read in a history book that when he went into, when Napoleon went into Russia, which was intended to be his victory, he went in with 600,000 soldiers. So let's say something about this, this going in. The year was 1812. And Napoleon decided that in his mission, his self-appointed mission to conquer the world, and we know that means conquer the world with the unholiness of disconnection from Hashem, God forbid. This was what Napoleon saw as his life's mission. Because he was a being from very much the opposite of holiness, from a very dark place. So in his mission, he saw that the next step in conquering the world was to conquer Russia. It's a very big country. And he knew that he needed to conquer it. And so he went in, see this, with 600,000 people, 600,000 soldiers. That's a significant number, right? We, there are 600,000 neshamas, general neshamas among Yidden, and 600,000 letters in the Tyra. This is... This is a very important number in Kedusha. And I only read it once somewhere. Today we could Google it and see how many, whoever wants to do it, how many soldiers he had when he went into Russia. He believed he would win. The Alter Rebbe, of course, understood what was going on. And as he's going into Russia, Napoleon, he's pursuing the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe knew that this is the moment when Napoleon has to lose. Hashem agreed. So how did it work out the Gashmis? It was an extremely harsh winter. The way the Russian army worked is, and armies in general, they would come to a town and they would take over and force the families to um, house their soldiers and feed them. Now, you can imagine that for Jewish families, this was not a very positive thing to have Russian soldiers living in their homes and maybe not always so moral or cooperative or respectful of people's privacy. And we won't go further in that. It was not exactly a very good thing. It wasn't even good for the Russian non-Jews. So what was arranged was, however it was done, we would say now, uh, I mean, the Russians, I guess, decided that, perhaps in collusion with the Alter Rebbe, somewhat, through his shluchim, you know, advice was given. Probably, I'm going to say, having read different books and accounts of how our Rebbe, the Rebbe, would deal with political leaders and very, very cleverly, have their amazing stories, send people to this political leader and that one have conversations that were politically life-changing. So the Russian government took an approach of burn, what is it, burn and abandon or something like that. 
as soon as they knew that the Russian army, the French army was approaching, everyone in the next town was commanded by the Russian government to abandon their homes and, and run away. Maybe they and to burn they all had, the crops so they would homes. have no food. So, sorry? Sorry, what do you think? And to burn all their crops, get, uh, destroy all the crops oh. so that they oh, yeah. would have no food. Right, there you go. Thanks. Right. Okay, so there we have it. So that means it's a bitter, harsh winter. They, the, the, the French army is traveling through impossible, harsh winter, snow, bitter, frostbite conditions. They're expecting to come to homes where they're going to warm themselves. They're going to have food and they're going to have warm housing. Neither one happened. So there was no warm housing. There, there was probably wasn't any, even any firewood or any way. There, there was no food. There was no warm housing. So the French army started, they would go to the next town and the next, and each one had been abandoned. So they're traveling probably hundreds of miles, the French army, through this impossibly bitter, life-destroying winter, that killed most of them. By the time they got to, where was it, Liadi? Was it? I think so. It, they, you know, were, so many of them were gone. By the time they finally, the French army finally turned around and went back through hundreds of miles, back out of Russia, again, no place to stay. All through Russia they're going and there's no place to stay, no place to eat, no place to warm themselves. So, the French soldiers are dying off like crazy. By the time they finally, that French army finally leaves Russia, there's nothing left. It's like a few soldiers. There's nothing left. The army has been decimated. It's over. Napoleon no longer has an army. He lost them all. This was the Gashmias. This was how Hashem set it out. The Gashmias to put into the minds of the Russian government to force all the peasants to leave their homes and burn the crops and to make such a harsh winter that killed off the whole French army. Napoleon was done. It was, it was over. The Altareba threw his life into the battle to destroy Napoleon because Napoleon wanted to, God forbid, destroy connection to Melech Malchai and Lachem HaKadosh Baruch to destroy the Tachan and Amun and Hashem. Not only of the Jewish people, because ultimately our betachan and and Hashem is to spread that betachan and and Hashem to the entire world. At that moment, the future of the entire world, Jew and non-Jew level, is in question. It's hanging in the balance. We're talking about, you know, 1812. That's when it's hanging in the balance. And Hashem orchestrates this whole thing. Through the Alter Rebbe and Lahabdil and Napoleon, this whole thing, and it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And of course, we know that when Napoleon came to the house of the Alter Rebbe, he knew where he was going. Nobody else understood. He's looking for the Alter Rebbe. He understood that this is his arch enemy. He understood that this is, if, if Napoleon understood, if he wants to succeed, it cannot be as long as the Alter Rebbe is there, stopping him, spiritually. He knew that. So, and of course, and Napoleon being some level of Shin Dalit or whatever he was, he understood that he has to get, because he had the power of magic and witchcraft, he knew that he has to get his hands on an object belonging to the Altareba. And that would give him some spiritual power with his powers, 
over the Alter Rebbe. <coughs> the Alter Rebbe knew this. <coughs> left the home and then realized after they left <coughs> that maybe some small object is left in the Alter Rebbe's home, instructed people to go back, younger people, to go back to the house of the Alter Rebbe's family, look for everything, see if anything was left. They found, right? Everybody knows, all the kids know it, the, a pair of slippers and a rolling pin and, of course, to take it or destroy it and burn down the house. When Napoleon got to the house, there was no object that he could put his hands on to get any power from the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe was just seconds in front of Napoleon. Napoleon is literally right behind on the heels of the Alter Rebbe. And there was a point in the journey when, in that winter when there was a decision that had to be made. And I think, and it was, do we turn right or left? And so to speak, the wrong decision was made. The Alter Rebbe was, I don't remember, perhaps asleep in the wagon. And the wrong decision was made and it, it delayed the journey, etc., etc. Again, everything Bashkacha practice. Clearly, the Alter Rebbe had to throw his life into the battle. So, this is the whole concept of how that, um, how that entire thing happened, and why we are sitting here today, and we have kosher restaurants, and you name it, and kosher and and Yiddishkeit flourishing in the entire world, and specifically, we'll see in the next part, we're going to end this part of the recording in a second, specifically how we see that France is one of the most powerful places, that place that was the place of the deepest klipa, the deepest unholiness, turned around not to just be a place where it wasn't, that wasn't making trouble anymore, (coughs) but a place that became the center of the most powerful Yiddishkeit in the entire world, Like, like, you know, spreading out Yiddishkeit like Yerushalayim. Well, you can't compare France and Yerushalayim, but, but the Makabal becomes the Mashpia, and that we're going to see in the second part. So Yehi Rasan said in this week, as we're being infused with all of these kaichas to settle into a place, settle into a situation, if, even if we're just on the bus, on the train, on the subway, in the car, wherever we are at a stop sign on, you know, 48th and 12th, whatever it is, and there we are walking on the street in a car, whatever we're doing, we somehow are beacons of light in that particular place to shine the light of Hashem and to zap any negative negativity that's there. And not only that, since the beer has been completed, as we heard last week, to, to infuse that place where we are with the light of Hashem, the light of Mashiach, the light of Tyre, the light of Kedusha, wherever we are in the most powerful way because it's in us and we're being infused from above, not we're amazing people, but the ones who are behind us, Hashem himself, etc. The Rebbeim are infusing us with that, that ability to spread the light of Hashem, spread the light of Mashiach and fill up every little empty nook and cranny in the whole world. May we do that immediately today, this week, and before Hanukkah, before you test Kislev, find ourselves dancing in the Gula Mikasvashlema in the base of Mikdash now. Okay, so um, we are in part two. Welcome to our Panini. This is Saratova Beth. We are 
we are in part two of um, that, um, um, and 